This podcast series is based on a book called Beyond Reasonable Greed, Why Sustainable Business is a Much Better Idea by Wayne Visser and Clem Sumter, read by myself, Wayne Visser. Trade, learning to play fair. In the present era of globalization, it is sacrilege to criticize unrestricted free trade when in the company of the pride. Somehow questioning free trade is equated with being anti-democratic, pro-communist, and an all-round sour grapes loser. And yet evidence of the negative impacts of trade on vulnerable communities, small economies, and fragile environments is precisely why elephant thinkers do question deregulated free trade. These are the very issues that rumble through the demonstrations that now tag every meeting of the Council of Supreme Lion Countries. These disgruntled herds of protesters argue that global trade today is neither fair nor free. If we look back, the concept of global free trade has its roots in the Bretton Woods Conference of 1944. It was one of the main visions of the proposed international trade organization, the ITO. As it turned out, the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, GATT, signed in 1947, was the only aspect of the ITO to be ratified. Various constraints that were originally designed to regulate the pure trade aspect of the envisaged global economic system were left out. Today, GATT is enshrined in the World Trade Organization, which continues the crusade for unrestricted trade. The critics of globalization cite various reasons for their discontent. The prime argument is that such an environment leads companies to seek out investment destinations with the least number of obstacles to profit-making. The end result is what U.S. ecological economist and author Herman Daly calls standards-lowering competition, and what others have called the race to the bottom. In other words, lion companies will locate in countries with minimal controls on working conditions and negligible environmental protection in order to save on costs that higher standards elsewhere would impose. To borrow the economist's jargon, why internalize externalities if no one is forcing you to? Another criticism is that trade between parties of unequal strength seldom results in an equitable exchange. How can developed lion economies of the industrialized world claim to be on a level playing field with struggling developing countries reeling under debt and social upheaval? Indeed, how can America and Europe justify protecting their farmers when developing countries are not permitted to protect theirs? Sounds like affirmative action in reverse. Or, at a corporate level, is it reasonable to expect local micro-enterprises to face up against powerful multinational companies and compete on equal terms? The elephant economy seeks to redress the power imbalances. And there are no more glaring contrasts than in the area of global trade. Competition means the strong win and the weak lose. So guess who has gained the lion's share of the benefits of globalization? America, the strongest and richest lion in the first place. No wonder they want the system to continue. 
Elephants are quick to point out that the WTO itself is undemocratic. How can an organization make decisions which affect the lives of billions of people without being subject to any governing body other than itself and lacking proper channels for input and influence by its stakeholders? Even the International Labour Organization was unsuccessful in its attempt to have a social clause included in the WTO constitution. To many elephants, therefore, it smacks of a self-serving gentleman's Leo club. Elephants wishing to shapeshift global trade towards something more sustainable have led the charge with a counter-movement consisting of a network of alternative trade organizations that strive to promote fairness in trade. They do this by agreeing on certain minimum standards and ethical practices which have the welfare of those affected and usually marginalized by the global trade process as their primary focus. In Europe, this has resulted in the establishment of more than 2,500 fair trade shops, which exclusively stock products that have been subject to this careful screening process. The UK has been particularly proactive in promoting fair trade through organizations like Tradecraft, Oxfam Activities, Tearcraft and Twin Trading. As an example of their success and impact, Tradecraft has a 2,000-strong voluntary sales staff and has managed to get its tea and coffee products stocked by national retail supermarkets like Sainsbury's. The Body Shop's Trade Not Aid initiative took the idea of fair trade and turned it into its international trading policy. Among the principles behind Trade Not Aid were that the body shop utilized traditional skills and materials, provided long-term commitments to all community projects of this nature, and encouraged small-scale businesses that could be easily duplicated. Because fair trade became something of a mission for the body shop, they actively sought out trade relationships with communities in third world countries, including India, Burkina Faso, Malaysia, Nepal, the Philippines and Kenya. Body Shop founder Anita Roddick sums up their fair trade experience as the ability to work in partnership with communities and to figure out what they truly need. It is the process of helping people find the right tools and the right approach to develop themselves. It is not, she emphasizes, simply buying goods for money or dishing out things we assume people want or imposing blueprint-type solutions on a complete population. More than anything, fair trade centers around paying attention to human relationships and addressing the particular situation that each counterparty finds itself in. Fair trade organizations are not limited to first world countries. One of the best examples of an alternative trade organization is South Africa's Cape Town-based Triple Trust Organization. As the name suggests, they were originally established to provide three services. First, to assist people from township communities to obtain business skills training. Second, to open up access to capital for those who had successfully completed their courses. And third, to create marketing links which channel income from the pockets of first world customers into the coffers of third world entrepreneurs. In the last regard, Triple Trust Investments has taken a significant stake in a company called BuySouthAfricaOnline.com, 
a recent winner of the Development Marketplace Innovation Competition of the World Bank, the company has developed a web-based system for small manufacturers to deal directly with the end consumers of their products. By streamlining the supply chain, small traders in South Africa obtain a fairer share of the final sale price. The company has even addressed the digital divide by enabling remote entrepreneurs to receive their orders automatically by SMS or text on a mobile phone, thereby bypassing the need for expensive computer equipment or training. Another example of an alternative trade organization is Fair Trade in Tourism South Africa, which was set up in 1998 as part of an international fair trade network for the tourism industry. The criteria for registering with the organization reveal the elephant values that underlie the initiative. Fair share, democracy, respect for human rights, culture and the environment, reliability, transparency and sustainability. It runs on similar lines to an international network called the Ethical Trading Initiative, whose membership includes companies, trade unions and NGOs. The corporates in this case are primarily UK retailers such as The Body Shop, Sainsbury's, Levi Strauss, Marks & Spencer, Safeway Stores and Tesco. Another dimension of the fair trade philosophy is to be conscious of the benefits of keeping trade local. Even the great economist Keynes acknowledged this when he said, I sympathize therefore with those who would minimize rather than those who would maximize economic entanglement between nations. Ideas, knowledge, art, hospitality, travel, these are the things which should of their nature be international. But let goods be homespun wherever it is reasonably and conveniently possible. And above all, let finance be primarily national. What Keynes is getting at is that local trade is good for local economies. Not that we should be trying to restrict people's choice. However, keeping money circulating in a given community or country is a powerful force in improving the welfare of that community or nation's people. We also know that local trade can avoid the environmental impacts associated with the transportation and packaging of globally traded goods. Therefore, buy local campaigns around the world are elephant-friendly initiatives that deserve our encouragement and support. At the moment, fair trade is just a seed which has had limited exposure and application, but it is nevertheless worth nurturing. As we shapeshift towards an elephant economy, fair trade criteria will become embedded in the practices of all world-class companies. Tools like social auditing and accounting and supplier certification schemes related to various international social, ethical and environmental standards will assist them. And combined with other sustainable economy initiatives, fair trade practices will help to restore some measure of equity and justice into our present conquest-oriented winner-takes-all international trading system.